Welcome to episode number 18 of Josh's Worst Nightmare, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I am your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, I'll be chatting with Kathleen Kaufman. Kathleen Kaufman's prose has been praised by Kirkus Reviews as crisp, elegant, and genuinely chilling by Booklist. She is the author of the Davla Trilogy, featuring Davla and Cinder, with the son of Abraham being the third and final installment. Her novel, The Laird Baylor, will soon be a feature film with Screen Australia and director Nicholas Verso. She was also the author of acclaimed historical horror hag and sci-fi thriller, The Tree Museum. When not writing, she could be found teaching literature and composition at Santa Monica College or hanging out with a good book. Kathleen is a native Coloradan and lives in Los Angeles with her husband, son, Hound, and a pack of cats. Uh, welcome to my nightmare, Kathleen. Thank you so much for having me here. I love other people's nightmares. <laughs> well, my nightmare is very specific in, in that for every episode, I invite on horror creators to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I define based on the definition of biology, living creatures, vital processes, and usually relevant to their creations, their writing. So for this episode, we will be talking about natural disasters. So how in the world do natural disasters tie into your work? So The Son of Abraham is the third and final installment in the Davla trilogy, as you said before. And Son of Abraham finds, we, we start this book with finding Alan, uh, Kate's younger brother, who has now grown into kind of a cult leader on his own right. And he is not a, a bit more than just a cult leader because he is also absurdly and otherworldly influential on people stretching all around the globe. His attacks on global, what we would call domestic terrorism, take a natural disaster kind of twinge in that his first attack, the book opens with an attack on Los Angeles that is a bombing. His attacks, his subsequent attacks on different areas of the U.S., target very specific locations for very specific purposes. But by that point, he has been able to harness his own abilities and his own otherworldly talents to harness natural disasters to do the work for him. So that is where they tie in with my book, um, with Son of Abraham. And so it is not people per se that are committing these acts of terror. It is things that are entirely possible in nature that he is just using the energy of his followers to really unleash, cool. which, yeah, which is scary in its own right, but also adds an element of the fantastic and kind of um, otherworldly to the, to, to the atmosphere of the book. Yeah. That sounds like an excellent premise. So of course, explosions and stuff like that with, Human-made stuff is is can be pretty awesome, not in real life, obviously, but fictionally can be pretty entertaining. But the fact that you take into account human harnessing nature, I think is that's such an awesome concept and sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm sure you don't want to reveal too much specifically about what exactly happens, but um, can you can you talk about any aspect, however broadly? 
Well, you know, in doing this, in writing this book and doing all the research for it, you end up going down a lot of rabbit holes and you end up really, you could, you could really give yourself a good case of insomnia once you start researching all the things that could actually happen and have happened at some point in your particular area. Um, sinkholes. That's a terrifying concept. Uh, and I did a ton of research on sinkholes, especially in the South where the geology of certain areas really drops off from being uh, just, it just, it just changes, right? Very dramatically, you go from really like a desert arid climate into like swamplands, and that can create this just absolute melting pot of trouble when you talk about it geologically and you talk about the potential of sinkholes and that the earth could just open up underneath you one day and that's it. And no reason, no cause for it, no warning particularly. Uh, so yeah, without saying where and when, that was part of my research, which scared the absolute socks off of me. That's cool. I think there's some film that's out there that that ties in something to do with sinkholes or something something bad in a hole. There's definitely a few <laughs> a few like that. But yeah, I had a personal experience when I was a kid. I grew up in upstate New York. That's not necessarily the geology where that's expected, but. I don't know if it quite counts as a sinkhole, but there was definitely a hole that was probably maybe, I don't know, 10 feet wide that opened up pretty close to the end of where the slide on our swing set was. And I remember looking down there, I can still picture it, brown dirt, rocks, and some water. And, you know, it didn't go down into the pits of the earth. And we, if I fell into, I probably would have just hurt myself, depending on how I fell, not necessarily been swallowed up. I think it had to do with on the site of where my uh, parents still live there. It was an old, uh, there was some old, it was a Gallaudet home. So it was a home for the deaf anyway. So they buried a lot of stuff once they knocked it down and it kind of screwed up everything underground. But uh, so the sinkhole stuff, that sounds, that sounds really excellent. I love that. But we actually growing up, because I grew up in Colorado, I grew up um, outside of Manitou Springs, and it was it was it wasn't anything otherworldly. It was a septic tank issue, but our whole backyard collapsed when I was a little kid. And so, yeah, we were out there and all of a sudden just boom, like wow. a 10 foot pit, like yeah. all of a sudden where the yard yeah. was. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's still, you know, as a, as a young horror writer, oh, uh, yeah. images like that really stuck with you because. Yeah, but sinkholes are terrifying. Um, the actual very real and present danger of things like acid rain are mm -hmm. terrifying. And you, we, we say it almost as a, as a trope anymore, right? Like a scary thing that can't really happen. But there are instances where it has been incredibly dangerous and it really does exist. <laughs> Sure. So when you go into kind of the science behind that, there's another thing that'll keep you up at night. Um, and then just, I mean, you have the everyday horrors, tornadoes and earthquakes and forest fires. I mean, I live in California now and, and we are constantly terrorized by uh, forest fires all the way through this season. We get a little bit of a break right around like the, you know, what you'd want to call California winter when it just rains a little bit and we all whine. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it goes right back into forest, forest fire season, right? So, yeah, but you look at how virulent and how destructive some of those disasters really can be. And they're far more terrifying to me than anything man-made, um, bombs or anything of that nature. Hmm. 
Hmm. Yeah. See, I would personally rather have nature kill me than some asshole personally, <laughs> but that's just my take on it. But yeah, of course, nature can be horrifying and can come up with things that humans probably never could. So the idea in your story of combining human malevolence or whatever, maybe, maybe he's doing the right thing. I don't know. And using natural disasters to take people out that that's such a cool premise. And yeah, living in California, which like you said, is natural disaster central these days. I think that's, you know, cause and I, and I thought it'd be a cool thing. I probably exists having a map. What are the natural disasters that occur in your area? So you guys got, you got <laughs> earthquakes and you have, well, you have mudslides and you mm -hmm. have wildfire what what that's pretty that pretty much covers it right <laughs> we could get tsunamis potentially oh, yeah. too yeah point. Yep. Tsunamis. Tsunamis. yep up and down the yeah. coast i used to live in oregon so i would yep. hear about tsunamis a lot so there's that Fl flooding can happen anywhere of course mm -hmm. uh i don't know if that's certainly not as common in the arid areas but then you kind of go midwest and you have tornadoes which that that to me seems the most frightening because uh they're the most like direct and just like boom versus hurricanes coastal where you could you could ride out a hurricane you're probably gonna be fine in a hurricane blizzards and then you know then there's of course the thing that we're all dealing with natural or not who knows for sure but uh the pandemics right so right that's, that's kind of a shitty one <laughs> <laughs> right so but i i believe um and I know this is what I was told by by somebody in your camp so it can't be secret so around pestilence so pestilence is something that you may or may not have written about and uh thoughts on pestilence pro or con <laughs> definitely con um no but i you know it's funny because i started writing this book in 2019 right and i got contracted for it in the summer of 2019 and so i'm writing it and then 2020 hit right mm -hmm. like a big old smack in the face and I, like a lot of other creators and creative people, I felt just a complete, you know, all those memes that were going around about how Shakespeare wrote King Lear, you know, during a, during a pandemic and whatever, mm -hmm. you know, punch those memes in the throat sometimes, but because I was just completely frozen and I'm like, I'm supposed mm -hmm. to write a book about basically the end of the world and it feels like the world is ending, you know, and I'm supposed yeah. to do this. And so I think my original, uh, inception of the book and my original vision of the book had been that Alan Robertson, who is known as to his followers as the son of Abraham, had been a much more traditional terrorist in that his attacks had been bombings and that kind of thing. And then I went to go write those scenes and I couldn't. I was completely oh. I was completely frozen. Oh. And it was definitely pandemic related. I mean, I was there was so much ugliness, I guess, out there in the world already. And I'm here, I am writing more ugliness right. Right. into it. And so I had, I felt like I had to make it different. You know, I had to make it more fantastical or I had to make it more, I don't know, more based in what could actually like natural disasters as opposed to man-made disasters. And I don't know what the difference was psychologically to that. Mm -hmm. There probably isn't. <laughs> But uh, but they're definitely it definitely influenced the way I wrote the book because I had to go back through and really re envision how these events would play out and the pandemic definitely played played a part in that because I I absolutely was frozen for the longest time trying to come up with a way of how am I still going to create this story um, when. <laughs> 
when it feels like the world around me is actually ending, you know, and, and of course, especially in the very beginning days of, of COVID and everything where there was so much uncertainty and so much fear and so much, and so many things that were unknown about it, that, that, yeah, I had to really re-envision this thing. And that's kind of where natural disasters and the Mm. more take on things that exist in nature already. And, and it, you know, it probably does come from a place of this was, you know, here's this pandemic and here's this illness that's going around and that, you know, things that exist in nature are way scarier than stuff that humans can come up with in our brains. Right. right. So, so definitely. Um, but yeah, that big con on pandemic, big, big, not even two thumbs down for sure. Yeah, not not a fan either. But yeah, it, it seems like in your case, it might have stimulated some creativity that didn't happen, wouldn't have happened otherwise, perhaps. So uh, obviously, no one's going to say I'm glad it happened. But sometimes you got to make the best of what's pretty crappy in the world. And it sounds like you've, you've done so. And of course, I do think, yeah, having having the pandemic living like it feels like at least a, a rehearsal for the end of the world it's a lot of people now i think are maybe more likely to touch into our world of horror or dark fiction or fantasy or sci-fi because like oh that's all just nonsense that crazy people come up with all of a sudden they're like huh maybe that's not too far off anyway so there may be some positive in like bringing people into the the genre at least (laughs) Well, I've, I've, I've long felt that the attraction to horror and speculative fiction and dystopian fiction and all of that uh, was really rooted largely anyway in playing out things before you actually have to play them out, you know, so you have fears and anxieties and you have things that haunt you and you have things that, that, that pop up in your dreams. And if you can play them out in a book or a movie or a game or anything uh, there's a sense that you can actually have some control over that. You know, I know how I might react if I was confronted with fill in the blank monster because of the media that I've been able to devour in that, in that genre. So I do think that is definitely, and I've, I've also long maintained that horror writers and creators are some of the nicest people out there on the planet when you actually meet them in person i think because all of our monsters are right there on our sleeve you know there's no like repressing any of that angst it's all just out there we everybody gets to see it and everybody will get to see our insecurities and everybody gets to be vulnerable around each other so yeah horror writers are some of the nicest folks around so yeah well we get it out we get it out of our system we purge it we're not hiding from our shadow and repressing it the most frightening people to me are the ones that are that are so cheery and they pretend like they don't have their dark side i'm like they are going to pop any day i'm going (laughs) to stay away from from that person but uh yeah i i think you're totally right that it's practice as well i've always looked at it that way and of course i think there might be an element that could go too far where you're just obsessing over blood and gore and, and getting too emo and goth or something like that. But I think for the most part, it's pretty darn healthy. Oops. We got a little, there we go. Pretty darn healthy. And uh, yeah, I, I fully endorse horror in, Mm -hmm. in that regard as a, as a catharsis, a, a useful way of coming to terms with aspects of our psyche, you know, and, and it doesn't, sometimes it's just cool stories, you know, it could be both, right? Who's to right. Say we can't do it, but I would be remiss if we we're talking about natural disasters and not talk about, um, so 
coming out with uh, an anthology soon called the Jewish Book of Horror and some aspects of the 10 plagues. So the 10 plagues in the Bible when the Jews are enslaved by the Pharaoh in Egypt and then God rains 10 basically natural disasters down. I just I just thought I'd read through them real quick just so we're, we cover that aspect in this uh, this talk of natural disasters. But the first one is... Uh, turning water to blood, which they think might have actually had some basis in something. I don't know what <laughs> frogs is. That's a whole plague. And I've always loved frogs. I'm like, that sounds mm -hmm. awesome. Just frogs everywhere. And there have been, of course, just, I don't know if you call them infestations of frogs, but when frogs hatch all of a sudden, you know, they're out there lice or gnats that certainly could count uh, wild animals or flies. Then it's pestilence of livestock. It's boils, thunderstorm, hail, hail, basically hail, they change what the definition of this plague is, but locusts, darkness for three days. I don't know. That's just Alaska, I guess. And then <laughs> death of the firstborn, which is not relevant to this. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to mention, mention how that has been used in, if you want to call the Bible literature, natural disaster. Uh, I was going to say natural disaster porn, but let me try not to use porn in conjunction with the bible but uh, you know what i'm trying to say here right but i personally i used hurricane so we recently dealt with hurricane ida i believe was the mm -hmm. most recent one so i my novella melina that i put out this earlier this year or dnt publishing put it out they um i have a scene where there's a hurricane that's building in the background and kind of using it to play off of some of the the human emotions but the thing that I liked most about the hurricane is like all of a sudden it's, it throws you back to isolation. Number one, isolation from other human beings, but knocks out the power, knocks out the roads. Mm -hmm. it, it takes you back to primitive human times. Uh, so any thoughts around that aspect of natural disasters, how it triggers that primal aspect in humanity? Well, I think there's definitely, I think the, I think what's terrifying about natural disasters, uh, whether they be hurricanes or forest fires or tsunamis or anything, is the feeling of not having any control over it and uh, the sheer power that nature has. I mean, you can, anybody who's ever been caught in a storm can feel that, right? Mm -hmm. I, it's funny because my, I'm, I grew up in Colorado, so my car is still extremely Coloradoized. Mm -hmm. um, like I was taught my whole life growing up that you keep a blanket and, you know, like the water and the food and the flares and all these, it's like, you keep all this stuff in the trunk of your car. Cause you get caught in like a snowstorm and your car gets trapped on the side of the road. You know, you don't want to like freeze to death in the night and everything. And now I live in LA where it drops to like, you know, 65 degrees and we're all like, it's got so cold. Right. Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, it's, it's easy to feel extremely out of control. And I think the sheer power that comes along with, with natural disasters is what's terrifying about them because it, it, yes. it exceeds anything that we are actually capable of as humans. I mean, like I said, when I was the original conception of, of son of Abraham um, in, in bombings and human made tragedies, nothing compared to what nature can throw at us when when it really wants to and you look at the sheer amount of disaster that has happened in um oh in just any area that's been decimated right by uh the forest fires here in california were absolutely are absolutely they're horrifying every single year 
every single year they are absolutely horrifying and just the sheer amount of destruction the sheer amount of um a speed by which they move and the lack of warning that people are given with which to get out of the area and get to a safe place but that's true with anything so definitely i think it's an it's a feeling of being out of control and it's a feeling of not being able to gauge exactly how powerful this force is right yeah i think that really is is central to it and in terms of wildfire so i've studied and written a lot about ecology so for the most part forest fires in the forest are fine people get concerned no one likes when their favorite place burns up but the reality is even the big fires in the forest they do recover themselves they've always existed but where it's scary is comes into human society right and we are not prepared for it it burns people's homes down there needs to be all sorts of things done to protect the homes and and that's that's a horrifying thing living here in colorado it's always possible i had um in the mountains here and there was a small fire not that far i could see it from my deck and it didn't go very far it didn't grow very big but it's a reminder you know at any time you might need to evacuate i've definitely gone out to a lot of wildfire sites and I, I've written some articles about it and, and talked to people whose homes, well, this one person who I talked to, his home almost burnt down. Part of it got burnt down and the person right across the street is completely gone. And I was able to look at that whole, whole situation there. And yeah, it's, it's a horrifying thing. And of course, around the world, different natural disasters can strike people differently, you know, in areas that are heavily populated, don't have great infrastructure, lots of poverty, something that might happen in a wealthy area in Pennsylvania here is like, oh, it's kind of an inconvenience. It happens in Bangladesh and that's like thousands of people die. So it, it really differs where you are. But yeah, wildfires in the West are certainly on people's minds more and more. And just simple, yeah, just simple storms. I mean, I, I go for hikes in the mountains every week and go for hike little walks every day. And just the other day, I'd never been this close to lighting before. It basically, you know, exploded over my head. I had, and it was, it was, it was like, a, like I'd never heard that before. Cause I'd never been that close. The lightning and the thunder were at the same time, which meant it was, it was like, I saw a ball. I literally saw a ball and I was like, this is bad. So uh, I survived, but here's the thing. If I had a choice between being struck dead then and some asshole driving in his car texting, strike me down with the lightning, please. Like, I don't, it's for me, it's like, it's okay if nature does it. it. How stupid is that? That's the way I look at it. No, I hear you. I hear you. I have a really sick joke with my husband. He doesn't think it's funny at all for the record that if I'm ever like, I ever am facing any like serious, like health issue, like just we're, we're in California, right? We have a big old ocean out there. Just find a pool of sharks, you know, <laughs> give me a bucket of chum and just right off the edge. You know, he does not think I'm funny by the there way, you go. but I'm like, I would so rather shark attack be on my, um, you know, sure. Yeah, right. And whatever else, it, whatever else it would have been. But I, I hear you. I would so much rather nature take me out than, um, yeah, any of the other man-made insanity that could possibly conjure itself. And of course, the argument could always go to, well, everything humans, humans are a part of nature. So everything humans do, it's like, but we, we get there's a difference between what we humans create in the world versus what happens naturally. But I, so I really going back to your book again, I think that interplay between the human consciousness tied into use of nature, elemental forces is such a 
that's that's a really great way of just getting to the heart of all those pieces. And so, so I'd have a question for you here regarding what would be more terrifying to you, extreme cold, and I don't know what the numbers would be to compare this here, but like extreme cold versus extreme heat, which which is more disturbing to you? Oh gosh, I I kind of think extreme heat would be more disturbing. Mm -hmm. I kind of think extreme heat would be more disturbing. I mean, for one thing, for me anyway, and everyone's a little different on this score, um, it's more uncomfortable when right. it's extremely hot than when it's really cold. Uh, I feel like with extreme cold, you can keep layering up and you can keep adding on, you know, but there's only so much you can do when you hit like extreme heat, right? Yep. I mean, there's that old Twilight Zone episode, The Midnight Sun. Yeah. That I, I always that think one. of that. Yeah. And you look at the way they suffer um, when it's the extreme heat, yep. half of that episode, right? Yeah. And then as opposed to the extreme cold on the other half of the episode. Right. Well, yeah, but I've always thought extreme heat was just would be uh, far more terrifying. I'm definitely whinier when we hit like the hot temperatures than I am when I've ever been uh, in cold weather. So yeah, me too. Now I agree with you on that. I wonder if it comes from having lived in Northern areas and being raised in Northern areas. Cause a lot of people from the Southern areas, they're big wimps about cold and they choose the other. They'd be like, you know, if it's really hot, it's just, I'm just sweating a lot. So no, <laughs> no to me, I shut down completely. I'm me like, too. that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. I lose my energy, but the cold, I'm actually invigorated in the cold. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'll just, all right, I'll put on a jacket. I'll put on a hat, like big deal. I'll move around. Now I'm fine. And yeah, the heat, like there's been times, I know even when I was a kid, I have these weird things. I would go in the shower, or the bath and it was too hot. And like, I was like, now I know what hell feels like versus I've never been really cold. I'm like, oh, this is what hell, cold hell, like bring, bring it on. And, and, and the cold, and not to get super morbid, I don't, it's probably better to die of extreme cold because then you get like lulled into a nice sort of like, I don't know. Well, there is that though. I mean, I mean, it's true. <laughs> the, what do they call it? It's like, a, it's almost yeah. a euphoria when you're freezing to death, supposedly. I don't know if that's true. Not so much for heat though. From right. When you look at those stats, not, not yeah. really the same experience. No, heat exhaustion is not yeah. pleasant. There's no fun. So yeah, I, I think objectively it is the correct choice to say <laughs> too much heat is worse than too much cold so yeah yeah definitely on team cold with that one i, I mean I, it might very well have something to do with growing up in a colder climate but yeah. but yeah for sure um now out here though i don't know what what the southern california take would be on it because it is kind of hilarious what they what people categorize as cold weather yes no, so, i know i know yeah. i have i have relatives and California. And yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty sad. It's <laughs> like, it's like the, the hothouse species of flowers that can only survive in the, in the terrarium. Right. <laughs> That's all right. You California people do bring some important things into the world. So, we'll, oh, of course we'll we have our, it. we have our, you know, we have our perks, but yeah, yeah. weather we'll tolerance is not necessarily high on the list. <laughs> no, but, but getting used to whatever the the stuff in the air. So that's the other thing around forest fires. Oh yeah. Is it's the breathing. So all of a sudden you're not able to breathe proper air. And that's, that's one of the most terrible aspects of a natural disaster, frankly, you know, so if, even if you think any disaster, so nine 11, right. 
obviously the buildings falling, all the horror of that is awful, but all of the, the stuff in the air and people were, re- and probably that had more long-term effects on, on the larger number of people while everyone breathing in. Oh, absolutely. Numbers. Yeah. Well, you hear about all of the long-term effects and the different complications that people had because of even people who were a pretty good distance away from the site, I mean, still had air quality issues and we definitely do out here. I mean, you have the element of the city and the smog and the pollution. Um, we've had days at where school has been canceled for air quality, not for anything else. I mean, it's funny, Colorado gets snow days, we get air quality days. Uh, well, cause here yeah. in Denver, I mean, you probably know Denver is one of the smoggiest crappy air cities in the country. So, uh, we don't, uh, don't leave us out of that. <laughs> You get to be part of the smoggy air club too. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You guys don't sitting down in a valley. You guys get, get your, your fair share of smog yourself. Yeah. Since moving out, um, you know, I can look down and can see just sort of a, like a yellow veneer. It it's actually hasn't been that bad the last couple of few years, but I know several years ago I, when I was living in Denver and I'd leave Denver and I'd look back and just this miasma around, I'm like, it's a, it's a daily ongoing natural disaster just to live there it's uh yeah. and that's that's human that's like human tying into nature in a sense right we're right. exacerbating aspects of of nature that that's so it's it's all it's all terrifying um i i don't i don't know if uh i guess the way to look at it if if there's a way to find the the silver lining in this is like well nature maybe does these things but there, there's got to be a purpose. I mean, we know that there's a purpose for forest fires. Like these forests have evolved, like actually they require it. So mm-hmm. it could be that all the other versions that happen in nature, they all have a, a purpose. And then if nature created us and we're doing horrible things too, maybe that's, that's all purpose. I don't know. I don't really believe that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? I've recently become a big fan of chaos theory. Um, oh. I had a, appendicitis three weeks ago, actually it's a real, wow. real nice. weird twist to the beginning of the uh, year of yeah. beginning of the school year here for me. So, uh, but yeah, no, uh, you know, in researching all sorts of fun facts about appendixes um, I have, if you ever want real evidence of chaos in the universe, it's like one in 20 people, no actual real definable risk factors. It could literally like, it's even more random than lightning strikes. Mm. Right. I mean, lightning, you kind of have to be outside. There has to be a storm. Like there has to be some things in place, right? Appendixes, it really could happen to anybody. Um, So that'll keep you up tonight. But (laughs) my dad had his, he had his appendix out when he was a kid, I guess. So yeah. See, Sue, and it's super common. Like you start asking around people like, oh yeah, yeah, that had that happen. Uh, But yeah, no, I've become, it's made me really think about the idea of chaos theory, the idea that things do happen kind of um, just randomly and they happen because they happen. Yeah. Uh, We like to look for order and pattern in things we do. It's, it's how, because we don't have claws and we don't have scales and we don't have any fangs or any way to protect ourselves. uh, We have our brains and our brains really love to look for order in the chaos, because if we can find order in the chaos, I'll know what's a threat and what's not. Right. Um, There's a really gorgeous Ted talk out there by a guy named Michael Shermer Hmm. uh, who talks about what, fear the role that fear plays and like evolution and our survival i know who michael Shermer is yep 
Yeah. And it's, it's great. Right. I, I show it to my students every year too, because it's really great to talk about the evolutionary sort of hinges of fear and why we look for order in the chaos. We want to see patterns in things. And so when natural disasters strike or when terrible things happen, we're going to start looking at us. Our instinct is to look mm -hmm. at it and say, well, it's for a reason and it's right. because of this. And I could see it coming because of these factors. And I have to say, I'm not convinced lately, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Maybe just because I'm I'm still like, you know, post-surgery getting over this thing, but I'm not convinced. I think that there really is an element of chaos and an element of, of crazy out there in the world where things sure. just happen and there's nothing it's not targeted at you and it's not because you were a bad person right. or because, you know, you were cursed or anything like that. I think it's just, just life. You right. know? Well, I wonder if that is what actually is so frightening about certain aspects of nature. I'm a nature lover, but I'm also a nature fearer in that I go out into the wilderness and I don't pretend it's just like Disney. I know for real, like I've gotten caught in blizzards and Mm -hmm. I know what can go on out there. So I don't, I don't fool myself. So I think what's the most terrifying thing about these natural disasters kind of to wrap this all up is nature is not malevolent. It's indifferent. It couldn't even care less. Whereas at least a terrorist who's trying to blow you up kind of cares about your existence in some way to the point where he even bothers to try to get rid of you. So at least it's like, there's a little bit of love there, right? Versus nature is like, whatever, you know, naked ape, I'm just burning the trees because this is what needs to be done. <laughs> That's exactly, I agree completely. I mean, it's as, you know, it's as indifferent as we are when we step on an ant pile, you know, yes. but by accident, because sometimes, you know, you step on them on purpose. Right. It's like, you know, nature is just like, whatever, I'm walking here, you know, you're in my way. Uh, I, I, yeah, so chaos theory, I've become a big, hmm. A big fan of it lately not maybe not a fan but maybe just a believer sure. in the idea that randomness how is out there in the universe um because yeah we we like to think there's patterns and things like it's signs i could look for and sometimes there just isn't you it's, know it's hard to say because what what created the chaos right and so yeah. maybe there's order in the creation of the kid i i don't know i but i definitely do find most things are just chaotic that that principle seems to hold true at least in my life and my perception so uh yeah well what uh it's been great to have you i've loved talking about natural disasters with you can you tell us before you go what are you working on now and then remind folks where we can find your work that's already out there so Son of Abraham launches on October 26th, and it should be available anywhere by you can buy a book. I highly, always, always highly encourage people to visit their local indie bookstores because they are the heart and soul of the entire book industry, particularly for us authors. Um, yes. They are the ones who support us and love us and carry our books. So uh, please go to Book Bar in Denver and Book Soup and, and Romans and all of those beautiful indie bookstores that are out there, Tattered Cover and all of those places are gorgeous and wonderful places to buy books. But yes, Son of Abraham launches on October 26th. We're super excited. Uh, if you haven't read the Davla trilogy, 
uh, you, those books are out there ready for you to go read them at all of those locations too. Davla is book one and Cinder is book two. Um, I was asked in a previous interview this week if I think people should read them all back to back or if they should take some time between each one. Honestly, I'm happy if anyone is reading them. So I don't think there's a wrong way to do it personally, but they are all three out there now. Uh, I do have another book off at the agent's, on the agent's desk that hopefully will go somewhere someday, somewhere soon. But, you know, it's just writing is, this game of writing is a, uh, you roll the dice and you hope for the best, right? Yep. The chaos theory again. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming into my nightmare. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. This has been wonderful. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg. <laughs> <laughs>